Good morning, everyone. It's Thanksgiving Sunday. Who's thankful? Yeah, yeah, right on, right on. And so, uh, because it's Thanksgiving Sunday, um, I figured we should kind of have a theme of Thanksgiving, of gratitude. There is a video that's been circulating on social media lately. Uh, I don't know if anyone's seen it, if you can put that picture up. The Science of Happiness, an experiment in gratitude. How many people have seen that? Raise your hand if you've seen that video. Wow, lots of us. Cool. Um, That's great. Yeah, so uh, there's been like 1.8 million people have seen it, so it's kind of catching, gathering steam and, and moving forward, and that's great. It's, uh, it's a video that's based on an actual scientific study that's been done, so there is kind of like legitimacy behind it. Um, and, and this is like a 15-year-old in a lab coat, it seems. Uh, he's not a scientist, but he pretends to be in this video. And, uh, and so they take the, the kind of findings from the study, and they try to reproduce them a little bit in a bit of an experiment. And, um, and so for those of you who haven't seen it, so they gather uh, a number of of uh, just random people, uh, they bring them in, and they give them an initial test to gauge their happiness. Uh, so they ask them all sorts of questions to kind of determine, uh, you know, what is their happiness level at? And then they ask them to do something really interesting. They, um, they, they, they ask the person, okay, who has had the most impact in your life? Who has had the greatest positive impact on your life? And so they come up with a name, and they'll say, now I want you to write a paragraph explaining how that person has impacted you. And so these people just sit there in front of this guy and they'll just start writing out, uh, talking about all the details that um, that particular mentor or their sister or their friend or whatever had in terms of impacting them positively. And and then (laughs) they hand them a phone and they say, okay, now you need to call them and you need to read to them your uh, paragraph that you wrote. So then it gets kind of awkward, but they do this. So they call uh, their friend, and, and a lot of them are, are crying and, and just kind of like weeping on the phone as they're showing, as they're, you know, communicating their gratitude to, um, to their friends, to their mentors, to their mothers, to their sisters. Uh, so it, and it's a really kind of heartwarming story, like video. Um, and then they give them a ne- another test following this experiment. They give them a test to kind of gauge their happiness. And it's actually similar to the first test, but it's, the questions are all mixed up a little bit to kind of show that they're not asking the same questions. And, uh, and, and, it's, and, and for 100% of the findings, they found that happiness levels increased after they showed gratitude to these people in their lives. And for most of them, there's actually pretty substantial increases of happiness, like 19, 20% more happy after they communicated gratitude. So I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, In other words, when we express gratitude to someone else, we become happier people. And and not that there is anything at all wrong with pursuing happiness through gratitude. Um, That's a good thing. Uh, But... It's interesting, and we'll talk about things like that in a few minutes, but it's interesting that this, that this is a secular study. It has nothing to do with Jesus or, or church or religion or anything, um, but th- this is a study that was done that um, would show results that basically are super countercultural in our world. We don't go around promoting showing gratitude that's not something we do. And yet it's completely in line with the, the kind of life that Jesus is asking us to live as Christians, as followers of him. And I found that kind of interesting. Um, 
There's, there's an artist that my wife and I listen to. His name's Josh Ritter. Raise your hand if you've heard of Josh Ritter before. One, two people have. And the only reason they have is because we have told them about Josh Ritter. <laughs> we love this guy. His music is awesome. And if you come and visit us, we're guaranteed to play his music for you. But here's what I love about this guy, and it ca- it's captured perfectly in this, in this, uh, this photo. Um, my wife and I have seen him a number of times in concert. And the thing that we, and not just us, like it's all over the internet, people talk about it. This thing about Josh and his concerts is that he's got this big dorky grin all the time. And he just loves just loves being there. And he shows his appreciation to, for the music that he's doing and for the crowd that's come out to see him. It's like he can't even believe it. He's just like, wow, I'm so grateful for you. And he just plays. And when that happens, as a, you know, a fan in the crowd, you can't help but be just drawn right into that. Because gratitude, because uh, appreciation, that kind of thing is contagious. When you see someone else just loving what they do, the way that Josh Ritter does. You're just like, yeah, I'm totally on board with that, right? So I, I think, and I don't know if this is possible, it probably isn't, but think about what it would be like if we could take that kind of gratitude, that kind of uh, uh, perspective and apply that like, to every sphere of our lives. If we can go into different areas of our life, different contexts, and we could live that kind of gratitude. Imagine what kind of impact, what kind of, um, what kind of impact we'd have as Christians for the kingdom of God. And like I said, I don't know if that's actually even possible, but I do know that all of us can work at least a little bit in moving toward this ideal of developing a posture of more gratitude in our lives. Because a lot of us suck at it. I know I suck at it. A lot of us suck at that, and, and it's not like the default um, position we find ourselves in. I don't usually wake up in the morning and think, thank you, God. I know like, it's cliche and we should be doing that, but I usually don't. I have to really struggle and work hard at showing gratitude in my life. And so uh, if you're like me at, at all, then, um, then maybe this message this morning is going to have some, um, some challenging things to say to you. Uh, and I know it's been challenging to me. So um, that's, that's kind of what I want to do this morning. I want to help us move a little bit further on this journey of developing like a, a, grat- a sense of gratitude in our lives. Um, and, I, and I want to start by reading a story from Luke, Luke chapter 7. If you want to follow along on the screen, you can feel free to do that. Um, I'm going to just read this and then we'll discuss it after. So it says in chapter 7, verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner." Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me, teacher, he says. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, 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 and the other 50. 500 bucks, that's what we'll say, and the other 50 bucks. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which 
one of them will love him more. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the biggest, bigger debt forgiven? Question mark? Yes, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other, no, we don't need to keep going. We can just stop there. Um, that's cool. <laughs> and so we have three characters in the story. We have, first of all, Simon the Pharisee. We have this, this woman who the, the, the Bible says is sinful. Uh, she was most likely a prostitute. And then we have Jesus. And <clears throat> excuse me, we talked often um, from the front here. I know Chris has mentioned it before many times, and I've talked about Pharisees as well, kind of what they were like in Jesus' day and what their attitude toward Jesus was. And in general, they were pretty dismissive of Jesus. They didn't have a lot of time for this guy because this guy came in and was basically undermining their entire agenda as Pharisees, as religious leaders. And so they were not super keen on, on this guy. And, and so when we see that Simon invites Jesus into this home, there's probably not a noble intention going on there. He's probably trying to find some way to like trick him, to get him, to like trip up or whatever, to try to capture him in some, you know, fault, and then to accuse him. That, that's probably what's going on here. <clears throat> so notice uh, that when Jesus gets to his house, Simon doesn't do anything in the way of showing gratitude or showing um, a welcoming to Jesus. And, and so in this day, in, in the first century, typically you might have your servant or you yourself would come out with a wash basin and you would start to wash your guest's feet, because that was customary. Your, kids, your people had dirty feet, and you walk into the house, and it's like, oh, let me get that. Let me clean your feet. That's kind of what you did. Or um, you would greet them with a holy kiss. And, uh, and so that was a typical thing in first century. We would, today in our culture, we would shake hands. So if you go to someone's house and you, you shake their hand, that's, that's expected. But if you go to someone's house and they're just like, like this, you're just kind of like, oh, what did I do to offend you, right? Because it's expected that you would um, shake hands today, or in those days you would shake, you would kiss them. In fact, um, in many cultures you still kiss on the cheek. I was when we were in Bolivia a couple of years ago. Uh, it's customary there that men kiss women once on left and once on the right, and then I think back on the left. Um, but men do not kiss men that way, and I didn't actually know that. I was telling the story at, at the break. Um, or I, I might have known it, but I for, forgot it. And so we were uh, visiting a, a Bolivian family. And a very typical Bolivian family, the, the husband, the wife, and their three daughters. And so I uh, welcomed, we, we said our hellos, and I said, or I gave the woman, the, the mother, a kiss, and that was fine. And then I, I gave the daughters a kiss, and then that was fine. And then I went, and I just started leaning into the guy, and he backs up. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like, oh, whoa, what's going on? I don't, what's, and it was just this really awkward moment that uh, I wish I could not, I wish I could take back. Um, 
but so, I mean, we still do that. And then another thing that we do, or we don't do anymore, but I, I feel like we should maybe reintroduce this, is um, if you were to go to someone's house, uh, they, they would pour oil on you as a sign of um, respect and honor. And, and I think that's maybe one thing we can, we can reintroduce in our culture today. <laughs> and so if you come to my house, watch out, I might blindside you with a bunch of canola oil dumped on your head. But it's only because I respect you. So I hope, I hope you're cool with that. Um, <laughs> but Simon doesn't do any of this. He's, he, he sees himself as this big shot in the community, right? He's, um, he's a religious leader. He's kind of the authority of the day. He doesn't owe anybody any honor. Or, you know, if anything, this Jesus character owes him respect. And so what a privilege it is for Jesus to be invited into Simon's home. That's, that's the attitude that Simon the Pharisee is having toward Jesus in, the, in this story. And so um, we might call that entitlement. Simon feels entitled that he doesn't actually have to do anything for this Jesus guy. Let's talk about entitlement for a second. Entitlement comes from this perception of ourselves as being more important than other people. And I, and I am willing to gauge that Unless you are incredibly spiritual and holy, we all struggle in some sphere, in some context in our lives with entitlement. If we were to be really honest with ourselves, we probably all, um, whether it's with our family or in our workplace or in our school context, in the classroom, whatever it is, I'm sure there's some level in which we struggle with entitlement. I I know that I do. I, I definitely get carried away with thinking that I am better than the people around me. Um, and so... This is something that we definitely struggle with. And this idea of entitlement is so pervasive in our, in our, in our culture, in our world. We uh, grow up, we raise our kids, and, and maybe you don't, but I definitely struggle with this, but we raise our kids uh, in such a way that we actually instill this sense that they are particularly special, which implies that they are better than everyone around them. And we don't intentionally do that, but it just happens. And, uh, and then we grow up and, and we listen to messages that, are coming at us all day, every day. Messages that you deserve to buy this product, right? Do yourself a favor. You, um, you know, this idea that you are better than everyone else and so you deserve to treat yourself to, you know, McDonald's or to get this dish detergent or whatever it is. It's like, that's the way, that's the marketing scheme that really, really works in our world. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like, that is, exact, that is the exact message that uh, marketers know is, like, the best way to, uh, to get someone to buy their product. Is just tell them that they're really special. Tell them that they deserve it. Because then we look at it and we're like, oh, I do deserve this. You're right. I do deserve to go buy McDonald's this morning and this afternoon and then tonight. Like, I do. It's, that's just, you know, I am that special. And so we get these messages, and then um, over time, we start to believe it. And so that's how entitlement kind of like becomes this cancer in our culture, that we walk around thinking that we're better than everyone else. Um, and so that's what's going on with Simon. He has this in- sense of entitlement. Uh, and because of that, he doesn't, show, he doesn't do anything to show his gratitude or, or his appreciation for the Son of Man walking into his home. And then this awkward thing happens. This woman who wasn't invited comes over to their house, comes over to the, the Pharisee's house, and, and just try to picture this. 
She just starts like crying her eyes out at the feet of Jesus. And there's so many tears that she's got enough there to, to wipe her hair and just try to picture how that would have looked. That would have been strange. But she's trying to wipe her, uh, Jesus' feet with her hair. And so she's doing this kind of thing and she's just crying and crying. And then Simon says, if this were really a prophet, he would know that the woman doing this right now, she's just a sinner. Ugh. Kind of a dismissal. Ugh. Sinner. And so Jesus, of course, is reading his mind because that's what Jesus does. He's awesome that way. And he says, Simon, I got a question for you. There's two people, and one guy owes lots and lots and lots of money, and another guy owes just a little bit of money, and then neither of them can pay it back, and then their debts are suddenly forgiven. Which guy do you think will be more indebted, will be more full of gratitude? And, Jesus, and, and Simon says, um, probably the guy who had the bigger debt. You're right, Simon. Very good. Right? So, so, that's, so that's what happens. And then, then Jesus reminds Simon. He says, here's what's going on, Simon. I came into your house, and you did not start to wash my feet, but this woman hasn't stopped. I, I came into my, your house, and you didn't bother giving me a kiss, which is a pretty normal thing to do in our day and age, Simon. You didn't even bother doing that. You're so full of yourself, you didn't do that. This woman hasn't stopped kissing my feet. I, I came into your house, Simon, and... And you didn't do a thing in terms of pouring oil or doing, you know, this showing honor and respect in this way. This woman is pouring expensive perfume on my feet. And he's like, yeah, what's your point, Jesus? I don't need to, right? And then he says in verse 47, Therefore I tell you, Simon, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Now, that, that's an odd statement if you think about it. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, if, if you've had a bit of, you know, a train wreck of a life, if you've been in, you know, drug abuse, you've lived on the streets, you've been part of gangs, you've just had like the worst of the worst, you've been a prostitute in this case, then you find Jesus. It's like your capacity to love is huge. But if you're just like a pretty good guy, and you haven't really screwed up at all, and you're just kind of doing the thing, and then you encounter Jesus, your ability to love pales in comparison. You, you, excuse me, you don't have that depth of that ability to love the way that someone who you know, has had a train wreck of a life. That, that's a weird conclusion. And at first glance, it seems like that's kind of what Jesus is getting at. But I actually think he's getting at something very different, very different because that doesn't make sense at all. We don't believe in a Jesus who wants us to go out and sin lots and lots and lots so that when we finally turn to him, our capacity to love is deeper. Like, that's bizarre. That's terrible theology. Don't believe that. Don't go out from here and rob a bank because you think that in doing that, you'll be able to love Jesus more later. Like, that's just bad. He's not actually saying that. So what is he getting at then? Well, um, I think what he's getting at is developing a posture of gratitude that comes from a sense of self-awareness. And that comes from a place of humility. And, and I don't mean in some kind of like new agey kind of self-awareness. Um, I mean figuring out who we are as, as broken people, all of us as broken people, standing before the very one who is able to give us our identity and to rescue us and to heal us. So Simon's self-perception is completely misguided here. He is so self-righteous. There isn't a perceived need 
for being rescued. There isn't a perceived need for being forgiven because he doesn't actually believe he needs to. His view of himself was so high that his capacity to love is so low. His ability to show gratitude to the Messiah, to the Savior, coming into his house, walking into his house, it's not received, it's not even given because he doesn't actually believe he needs to be saved. Until there is a perceived need for something, until we have that perception clarified in our minds, it's awfully hard to show gratitude. If you don't realize that you need something, it's really difficult to show gratitude. You know what I'm saying? Contrast this with the woman who's at his feet, who's desperately aware of her situation, who's desperately aware. She doesn't need to be reminded of her sinfulness. She is very aware of that. And you know that because of the way she is completely emptying herself in front of Jesus at his feet, right? There is a fundamental awareness going on of who she is and what her need is. And that's what's important here. There is an awareness of who she is. She knows she is a broken vessel. She knows she is completely lost and without hope. And this guy, Jesus, somehow is able to offer life and, and, and give her a new start, a new go at it. She's aware of that. She's not sure how she's aware of it, but she just knows. And so that's why she is pouring herself out at his feet. So the more we try to hold on to how good we are, the less we are able to show gratitude in our lives and to live lives of grace. So I think it helps to take these concrete steps to to look at ourselves and to realize, you know, there is a certain image that we project to the world of ourselves, but that's not who you are. You know, you're not the sum total of the achievements of your academic accomplishments. That's, that's not who you are. You're not, you know, the breadwinning father who, and husband who takes care of his family. That's not who you are. You're not even the volunteer who's constantly giving selflessly every week, and that's not who you are. Those are things that you do. And what we do in this world, in this kind of screwed up system, is that we take those activities and those accomplishments and all these achievements, and we actually trick ourselves into thinking that that is who we are. And so, when that happens, we become like the Pharisee in this story, and we get this sense of entitlement. And we say, oh, yeah, I've got these academic credentials. I belong in this position, in this job, and I belong in, you know, making this kind of money, and I belong in this, in this level of society. I've done the hard work to get it. I'm entitled We don't say those words, but that's exactly what's going on. And when you're entitled, you have no capacity to show gratitude because you don't think you need to. You follow me? Cool? Good. Um, And so we play these games and we build ourselves up and we listen to these messages that our culture is telling us, right? That you deserve this, you deserve that. Buy this product because it's up to you. You, you, you You earned it. And we end up actually legitimately tricking ourselves. We actually convince ourselves in some weird way that we are good enough, that we are better than others, that this develops this deep-rooted uh, a sense of entitlement, and it's really difficult to get rid of. And if you struggle with entitlement like I do in many spheres of my life, you'll know what I'm talking about. See, if we persist in presenting a, a false self to everyone, we eventually convince ourselves it's true. And, and that's what's going on with Simon here. He 
does not have any need for his Savior. So his capacity to love is so small. His capacity to show gratitude is so small. But the woman is the extreme opposite. She's so aware. And as a result, she's pouring herself into loving Jesus, and she's just showing this incredible sense of gratitude to him. So the first way that we can invite a posture of gratitude into our lives is to recognize who we are before God. And that's it. To recognize that we are actually, all of us, not just me, the guy standing in front of you, but you too, you are a broken person that needs to be healed. You know, you are someone who does not have any hope outside of God. You are someone who needs to be reconciled to God, to be brought into communion with him. That's your status as much as it is mine. And until that realization comes, until we realize, okay, if that's who I am, and then Jesus is offering this life, this new life that I can embrace, if that's the reality of what's going on, then you will be filled with gratitude. It's kind of like the conversion thing that happens. You know, you definitely have this profound, transformative conversion that causes us to wake up to like, yeah, I was broken, I was lost, but now I'm found. And, and God is so good to extend that grace to me. Wow. Um, so that's kind of the first step. We realize who we are. We're broken before God. We need healing. That should, I think, the plan, the, the way God's designed it, that should instill in us a real deep sense of gratitude. But then here's what happens. Then life happens. And, and so... You know, we might at first realize this stuff is so true and it's, you know, it's paramount in our minds and so we're going around and we're like, yes, God, I love you. I'm grateful for you. I'm willing to serve you. I want to build your kingdom here. I want to do all this stuff. And then life just kind of starts happening. And, and over time, we're listening to these messages that keep telling us that we're really important and we keep accomplishing things in life and we keep building ourselves up and making all these, um, making all these successes in life and achieving all these different things and we eventually kind of find ourselves lost in gratitude or losing that gratitude. It, it begins to wane. Um, th- this is my experience and I'm assuming it's the same as yours. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you probably know that this is true, that you really don't have, let's be honest, you really don't have a profound sense of gratitude that motivates you every day. And so, but I think it's, we're supposed to, we're called to. And, and so I want to just talk about two things, two ways here that this story kind of demonstrates how we can um, foster gratitude, how we can develop this posture in our lives. And the first one is cynicism. It, the first one is avoiding cynicism. We don't, okay, you know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> Simon was a Pharisee, okay? And we talked about this already, but as a Pharisee, his kind of default disposition toward Jesus, his kind of the starting place for him would have been to dismiss Jesus outright. Like no doubt that he had been very aware of the, the miracles and the signs and wonders that this, this guy is going around performing and these things that he's saying about himself being the son of man. I'm sure that the Simon character was all too aware of this. And yet, he doesn't buy any of it. He might be intrigued a little bit and invites him over to his, to his house to, to maybe perform some crazy miracle so he can just say he witnessed it, but he's not really into it. He's cynical of the whole thing. 
And when you're cynical of something, you can't appreciate it. You can't be thankful for it because you don't believe it. Instead, you dismiss it. Jesus is bringing life, right? Jesus is bringing life. But if you're too cynical of that truth, of that reality, then how on earth can you appreciate that? How can you, you wouldn't be crying at the feet of this man because you don't believe you actually need it. You're too cynical of that. So this Pharisee is teaching us like he's, one way you're not going to develop gratitude is by being cynical. And I think um, that cynicism is perhaps one of the most powerful forces in our culture today at destroying gratitude. Our culture is one in which we are taught that we need to question everything. We begin with uh, a position of doubt rather than trust or acceptance, right? That, that's kind of how we're wired. And in many ways, that's good. I'm not saying that we should just be naive doormats who go around just believing anything and everything. No, there's definitely a balance. But our culture is inundating us with this idea. The world around us, and we can blame whoever we want, but ultimately it's us who has to answer that we have this disposition of just doubt and cynicism all the time. And that's not helpful. And as followers of Jesus, I don't think we're called to be like that. And I don't know about you, but this is something I totally struggle with. Um, and, and Simon teaches us, though, that in cynicism, you don't actually become cynical because of your nature. We are not just cynical by nature. I don't think most of us are. The Pharisee becomes cynical because he has to. If he wants to maintain his authority and his position in the community, if he wants to maintain all the perks of being a Pharisee, he's not allowed to buy into this Jesus stuff. He has to be cynical of it. And so all of us, I think this is true, at least for me, all of us need to kind of examine why do we become cynical in the first place? You know, we all have our reasons. And if you're wanting to like get rid of that in your life, if you're wanting to try to, you know, move toward this posture of gratitude, more a, a, a deeper sense of appreciation for the things that God is doing in your life, if that's what your goal is, then you need to kind of take some time this week maybe and, and, and look inside and find, figure out, like, why do I struggle with cynicism? Why am I constantly dismissing of others? You know, I'll tell you something. In my life, I've looked at it this week and I've examined it and it was kind of dark and ugly, but I'll tell you what it was. It's because I, I need to be better than other people. I need to show, I need to convince myself that other people and other situations aren't as good as the situation I'm in and, and, and that I'm a better person than them. And so I don't even know if that makes sense to you, but it does very much to me and it's very challenging. But I have to... Um, what I do then is I convince myself that other people have cut corners to get to where they are or, or they've cheated in some way or, um, you know, they've taken the shortcut. They haven't worked as hard as I have or whatever it is. But I find these ways of being cynical of other people because I need to feel better about myself. That's an ugly, ugly reality that I deal with. And acknowledging that and being able to like confront that head on and realize that, yeah, this is what I need to work on. I need to start here at the root. Dig up, why am I in that position? Why do I need that? And figure that out. That's how we begin to, uh, to take cynicism, to get cynicism out of our lives. And so I don't know what it is you're struggling with in that regard, but, but if it's 
whatever it is, take time. If, if you're cynical by nature, if this is something that you deal with and is holding you back from living a life of gratitude, then let me challenge you to actually uh, explore why you are cynical in the first place. It's not your nature to be cynical. There's a reason for it. So we lose gratitude through cynicism. And then we also lose gratitude through, um, well, there's a number of reasons, but I'll share one more, through comparison, through comparing ourselves to others. How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Nobody raised their hand, but I'm going to assume you do anyway. Um, So our kids will be sitting at the table. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and they'll be sitting at the table, and mom will give them a cookie, the first one a cookie. And he is just full of love. Oh, thank you, mommy. I love you. This is the greatest. It's such a great cookie. Wow, you're the best mom ever. And he's just beside himself with thanks. And then uh, Rhonda will give the other one a cookie, and it might be one millimeter bigger in diameter. Like, you can't even tell, but he can. And he sees the other one take that cookie, and he's like, what? This is ridiculous. And then he just throws his cookie on the ground, and he throws a huge temper tantrum. And if you knew my son Cameron, you knew that he would never spit out his cookie as a, as a form of making a point. He doesn't do that. But my point is, uh, we all kind of do this stuff. We compare ourselves to each other, and in the process, we lose sight of the blessing of the cookie that is in our lives, Right? It's a simple illustration, and it didn't actually happen. I don't mean to throw my son under the bus. He's not like that. He's, he's a perfect kid. He really, he's never done anything wrong, ever. Um, just joking. Uh, <laughs> and my wife says something this week that, I don't know, uh, when I repeat it here, it's not going to make anything, but the way she said it, I think we were with some friends visiting, and she said, nothing kills gratitude more than comparing ourselves with others. And I know that doesn't sound particularly profound, but it really is. When we get wrapped up in comparing ourselves to other people, gratitude sinks. And we just dismiss it. We don't become thankful for the things we have. And like I said, we do this as adults. And so when someone else uh, you know, has a better job than us, or, or we see that they are doing just really meaningful work in their ministry, you know, in, in their lives for the kingdom. And we're like, wow, man, why, why can't I do that? You know, why, why do I have to work in this humdrum office job all day long, doing whatever I'm doing and making no impact on anything? Ooh. And we get all down and out and we become depressed. And this, again, this is something I struggle with. I'm laying out my cards on the table to you this morning. Um, but yeah, like this is what we do. And you know what's a terrible, terrible medium for this? What is it? Facebook, yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Facebook is a terrible medium for this. It's a perfect example of what I'm getting at. Sometimes when I go on Facebook, I actually get discouraged. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Thank you for being honest. The rest of you? Um, Most of us put our best face forward on Facebook, don't we? It's like a highlight reel of our lives. We don't put... The, the crummy stuff that's going on in our lives. We're not talking about the last fight we had with our spouse or how our son was dragged to the principal's office for fighting again. We're not talking about our boring jobs 
or whatever it is. We're talking about the amazing things that are going on in our lives because we need to communicate how awesome we are to the rest of the world. We need that. We're human. We need other people to approve us, and that's a great way of doing it. And so it's really difficult sometimes when we go onto Facebook and, and we see other people's lives being just so amazing. Oh, look at me. I got into med school. Wow, great for you. You know, and or all these things. are just like, yeah. And it, it's, it's an ugly reflection on what our character can be like because when we can't handle it, we have this option. When we see those kind of things going on on Facebook, and it's not all of Facebook that does this, um, but when we go on to Facebook and we see that kind of thing, we have this option. We can say, okay, listen, I'm going to be happy for this person's success. Whatever it is they're talking about, I'm going to celebrate it. I'm going to be intentional about asking them questions about how they got there. Even though it might be hard, I'm going to resist envy. Or we can just be jerks about it and say, start being cynical about it. Ah, it's not real. They're just bragging. They're full of themselves, blah, blah, blah. You know, we can just do that. And, and the truth is we all, probably most of us do that to some degree or another. Um, I'll tell you something. I, I can't necessarily confess honestly that I'm at a place in my life where I can just be super happy for my friend's success. That's a, that's a terrible confession. You probably think I'm an awful person. And, and maybe I am. But I, I'm not at a, at a place necessarily in all circumstances where I'm able to celebrate other people's um, victories in life. That's, that's a reality I deal with. And so instead of being cynical and instead of dismissing it, you know what I do? I, I just unsubscribe from them. It's true. It's terrible. But it's a tangible step that I have to take in my life to allow me to foster gratitude right now. That's where I'm at. That's just, you know, in, in my faith journey, that's kind of where I'm at, if I'm honest with you. I have to be able to... Uh, just get, get them out of the picture for now. Maybe in six months, I'll be at a different place and I can resubscribe to them or I can call them up again or whatever. It doesn't have to happen on Facebook, in life in general. But that's kind of what I have to do sometimes. And I'm not like crazy about it. I don't do it all the time. But it's just sometimes it gets to me. And so maybe you, if you're in the same boat as me or something similar, if you can kind of resonate, if it kind of resonates what I'm saying right now, um, maybe you need to do some kind of tangible step in that same direction. Not getting rid of your friends, not anything like that, but just you're the one who's in front of that computer screen every day who's looking at the success and comparing yourself to your friends. So if there's something that you see that you can't handle, you know what? Just unsubscribe. Nobody's going to know. It's it's totally cool. Nobody's going to know. They're not going to know. Facebook doesn't tell them that you unsubscribe, so it's okay. And then down the road, come back to it and see. But we need to do these kind of steps. So whatever it is that is causing us to stumble in our gratitude, we need to take very intentional steps that are going to move toward um, becoming, becoming more grateful for uh, the blessings in our life, becoming more grateful to God for the work he's doing in our life, not neighbor's life, not anyone else, just the work that he's doing. That's what we're called to do. So I want to close this morning. Um, And I want to just remind us, if you're wanting to develop a posture of gratitude this Thanksgiving, if this is something in your heart that you're like, you know what, I'm just not living this way, and I really need to, then here's what you need to do. First of all, look at who you are. Look at who you are as a broken person in need of a rescuer, in need of Jesus. See that, accept that reality first. And then, 
Fight against the things that are pulling you down, like cynicism in your life and comparing yourself to others. And maybe it's self-pity or, or maybe it's entitlement or whatever it is. Take those things, take those daggers and, and throw them down and don't let them have an impact on your life, a power in, or a foothold on your life. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to share from your word, to, to read about these characters in Scripture who are able to reflect so much what our hearts can be like at times. Father, we struggle with entitlement. We struggle with um, our own, sense, our own self, sense of self-importance and how great we are. Help us to realize, Father, that all the accomplishments and the titles and, and achievements we've made in this world are nothing in comparison to the salvation, to the gift of, of love, the grace that you extend to us to make us whole, to redeem us, to, to heal us of our brokenness. God, Father, I pray that you would give us strength this week as we celebrate Thanksgiving and as we contemplate it, our lives and how we need to become more thankful. I pray that you would help us to think about the things we need, as tangible steps we can take toward developing more gratitude. And I pray, Lord, that as a community, we would, we would uh, be there for each other. We would build each other up. And that... Uh, you would be honored in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you very much. Well, thanks, Steve. Yep. Well, that's it for our morning. Uh, thanks, everybody, for coming. God bless you. Have a fantastic rest of your uh, Thanksgiving weekend. We'll see you next week.